Welcome to the Sons of Thunder. It's a show where um, we both pretend like we've read uh, the latest chapter of Jordan Peterson's book. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> we both have read the chapter. And uh, what we're doing right now is we're in the middle of a series that explains from a Christian perspective what Jordan Peterson's arguments are in his book, The Twelve Rules for Life. And you know what we try to do is we try to analyze them from a Christian perspective. Is what he's saying biblical? Not only is it biblical, but is it something we should, um, is it something that's needed right now? And and how do we implement what he, what he's advising us to implement? Or, or should we at all? Um, quick introduction, if this is your first time watching, or if you're watching later or listening to the podcast, my name is Joel Setacase. And I'm Parker Zedekase. Yeah, uh, that's actually Yosemite Sam. Yosemite Sam is a uh, is a Looney Tunes character who is now gun free. He's now pacifist. Have you heard about this? Is that for real? Yeah, the new iteration of of Looney Tunes is not going to have any guns with uh, Elmer Fudd or Yosemite Sam. Wow, they're not doing the. Gun that's their thing. whole thing. That's their their whole character was just guns, just shooting guns up in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That and Elmer Fudd walking around with a a gun, trying to blow Bugs Bunny's head. Like, what's he gonna do? Is he just because the whole point of the gun was to kill Bugs Bunny, right? Yeah. So is he just no longer trying to kill Bugs Bunny? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know there's a new iteration. But that. Uh, Let's go off track. Do you did you hear about Nimrod? Did, did you know the word Nimrod when you call someone a Nimrod? Of course. Uh, do you know the origin of that, or or I think the origin from Looney Tunes? Yes. Isn't that insane? It's, it, explain. Explain. So, well, from what I've heard, we call each other Nimrod to to say you're dumb, you're a dummy, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as as best as I can tell, that came from Bugs Bunny calling Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. Right. And he was saying it ironically because Nimrod was this mighty warrior from the Bible, a mm -hmm. uh, mighty hunter from the Bible. And so he's going, ah, okay, Nimrod, because he wasn't a good hunter. He was saying it ironically. Right. It's like when, it's like when you call a uh, person you don't think is very smart, Einstein. Right. Exactly. Oh, look at this, Einstein. Right. And so that was, so, but just imagine our culture forgetting who Einstein was. Right. And then thinking that Einstein was a put down. Right. You know, like, oh, this guy's an idiot. He's an yeah. Einstein. You know, yeah. I think that's what happened. And probably because of biblical illiteracy. Yeah. Right. It's just, oh, I don't know what he means by Nimrod. Must be a put down. So, yeah, I'm going to call Steve a Nimrod tomorrow. It Which, makes no sense. He's not trying to hunt. You're just right. out of context. It's funny because. It just goes to show you that Bugs Bunny has more biblical literacy right. than, the, than the average right. American. Yeah, hilarious. All right. And terrifying. Yeah, uh, yes, hilarifying. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's uh let's do this, man. Uh enough enough pleasantries. Yeah. Let's um let's go ahead and get into Rule the, number six. That yeah, uh rule rule number six. And uh, tell us what it is. Yeah, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. You know something? You know what I just realized? No. You got a sweep or something? Your house isn't in order? No, my house, I mean, look at my shelves. I think my house is in pretty good order. Now, don't look at my desk. I'm not going to show you that. <laughs> yeah. That's wretched. But um, I read this chapter like last week or earlier in the week. And for today, I actually read rule seven. So I'm, I'm, I'm a rule ahead. So all those points I was making to you in our discussion before we got started. There it is. That explains I like, it. I was like, because you, you were telling me, you're like, yeah, this is the problem of evil chapter. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm looking at it. I'm like, I don't see. Oh, yeah. I was wondering is. what you were saying, dude. That's so funny. Yeah, rule that's seven, why. Pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. And, right. and it, it builds off, it, off itself a little bit. Peterson, like we've said, again and again, is not the most systematic thinker. Mm -hmm. And I, he doesn't claim to be. I don't think he tries to be. No. But but yeah, there is a, a little bit of progression going on throughout the rules. Yeah. That's so funny that, that you were looking at the wrong one. Yeah, I was looking at rule seven. So, But that's good, though. I mean, I'm ready to go for rule six. Um, and I think it's um, I, I it's, it's a fascinating chapter. There's a lot to affirm here. At one point, I was reading, and it actually... 
gave me chills. Yeah, dude. Uh, where he's talking about Cain and Abel. But let's yeah. let's go ahead and get into this. Um, yeah. What, what introduce us to? Yeah, so let's do a br- just a, a brief overview. This is this is maybe more than any other rule. Peterson's attempt at uh, wrestling with the problem of evil, and the problem of evil is many uh, Christian apologists. Um, theologians, philosophers agree that the problem of evil is one of the most difficult problems in all of theology and philosophy, anyone who believes in a God. And the, the problem of evil basically is, hey, if there is a God, if he's good, uh, then why is there evil? Why is there so much bad stuff in the world? And you can frame that different ways. You know, if God's all good, if he's all knowing, if he's all powerful, then he would know about all evil, right? He, he knows everything. He would know about any instance of evil before it happens. He would be powerful enough to stop it. And if he were all good, he would stop it because he's good and evil's bad. But we find evil in the world, so there must not be that kind of God. And it's not put, usually it's just, oh, so there is no God. But really what the argument would show is that, at least put this way, one of those attributes of God uh, is not correct. Either maybe he doesn't know about it, or maybe he's not powerful to stop it. So what we can talk, we'll talk about a Christian response to that. But just but if that's the case, that's not the Christian God. The Christian right. God is all knowing. Yeah. So to all say an all knowing, to say God exists but He's not all knowing, hypothetically, is to say the God of the Bible doesn't exist. Yeah, and there's some there's some Christians who I would say are very mistaken who say, yeah, God doesn't know the future or things like that. Open theism, right? Process and, theology. God yeah, is changing well, along with the certainly world. Certainly, process theology cannot be Christian. Right. Um, yeah, but some, some Christians would, I think they're confused saying, uh, God doesn't know the future. And this is called open theism, or mm-hmm, openness mm-hmm. theism. And they, some of them are philosophers and they would eat my lunch and some of the stuff, but they fall outside the historic faith for sure. Right. Right. They, they, they might be able to answer a lot of questions better than you or me, you or yeah. I, but one question that they would get wrong, we would get right is is the Bible actually true? Yeah. It's <laughs> like, right. a very simple, it's a very simple question. Yeah. Simple answer. Um, so this, this is Peterson. This is Peterson's uh, attempt at dealing with the problem, not at solving the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he doesn't try to solve why there's evil or how we completely eradicate all evil, but he, he does put forth a proposal for how we might go about creating less evil. When was the first time you heard someone interact with the question, why does God allow, or, or, or how could God have allowed someone like Hitler to exist? I first dealt with this from dad reading the Bible to us as kids, and we we're reading about Pharaoh. And this is more has to do with, with God's sovereignty uh, and, and evil, but I remember dad reading us about Pharaoh and you know, Pharaoh is this wicked dude and he's enslaving Jews and he's terrible. And technically they were Hebrews at that point, not called Jews, but that's fine. Yeah. Okay, great. So he's important, but that's okay. Yeah. So he, he hardened his heart. And then later in the chapter, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right. And I was not okay with that. And I said, dad, what, what's the deal? It seemed like God made it impossible for Pharaoh to say, yes, I'll let your people go. Mm-hmm. And Pops just goes, well, you know, God gave him more of what he wanted. I'm like, but no, it doesn't seem like that at all. And then I hid in my closet for the rest of the day because I was scared of God. So, yeah, it's like. Which, which, quite honestly, Jordan Peterson would say, that's a perfectly reasonable response. Yeah, he would. When faced <laughs> with the magnitude of, of, of being, being or, itself, of or God in the ancient language. Yeah, right. Yeah, B- Peterson often uses God language, and he is notoriously difficult to pin down on his beliefs in God. We talked about this again and again. But in this chapter, he seems to be d- talking about being, capital B, being, as God. Very, um, who's the philosopher that says God is the ground of being? Who is that? He's sort yeah. of just a- outside. Aquinas talks about that. No, 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 no. This is a guy who's just outside the bounds of orthodoxy. Uh, God is the... Ground of all being. Come on, a lot, a lot of, a lot of theologians say that. There's one guy though. Is it? Is he alive today? I don't think so. It's not David Bentley Harder or something. No, like no, that? no, no, no. I'm not sure. Okay. Is it open? Are you talking about like process stuff? Like North? No, no, no. Okay. If you're Northhead, if you're watching live, 
Whitehead? North no, Whitehead. Yeah, North Northhead. Northhead. North Face. That's yeah, right. That's the guy who was a philosopher who sold polar fleeces in his uh at the back of his uh, truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, did you get a, did you get that new Northhead fleece? That's good. That's good. I did. Um <laughs> If you know who I'm talking about, who's the guy? God is the gr- the ground of all being. I used to know more is when it, I was. Is it uh, is it um, the guy who who Netland studied with? Is that who you're thinking of? I don't know. Who did Netland study with? I'm trying to think now. Maybe. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So now, now I've got it. I remember. I got his book over there. I remember the first Hick. time. Is it John Hick? Is that who you're thinking of? No. 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 Okay. No. John Hick is the religious pluralism guy. Yeah. Along with Robert uh, McKim, I think. Um, okay, no. Here's here's the point. I remember the first time when someone addressed this with me. It, the first time I remember. I was in my... I want to say it was my New Testament class at Grove City College and Dr. James Bibza was teaching. And I think this was my freshman year because we had, it was a Christian college and we had to take certain religious classes and uh, Grove City is a great school. And Dr. Bibza was a great teacher. Yeah. And I believe I was, man, you know me, I had my my hand up. I was asking questions like, I was probably asking like 50 questions per class. I'm not exaggerating, you know, and maybe, maybe like 20 questions per class. We both got that from Pops. Totally. Totally. One of the questions that I asked was, how could God allow someone like Hitler to live and to come to power? And what he said was so profound, Dr. Bibson. You could tell he had heard the question before. He said, a better question to ask is given what we know about human nature, how is it that God restrains the inner Hitler in more people? Like, mm-hmm. how is it that more people don't arrive at at that kind of yeah. position of, of great evil? Yeah. It's like, and and at that point, dude, I didn't know about Calvinism, total depravity. I didn't really understand. This is a Presbyterian school, right? So I didn't understand where he was coming from. Presbyterians, yeah. of course, are Calvinists, at least if they're consistent. And and so now I look back on it and I go, right. And I think that's what Jordan Peterson is 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 getting at here yeah. without without so much of the overt theological orthodox language. What he's saying is, look. It's it's the old Solzhenitsyn Alexander Solzhenitsyn quote, the guy who wrote the Gulag Archipelago, who survived all those Russian gulags, came to the West and exposed it to the world. He said the dividing line between good and evil runs straight through yeah. the human heart. Yeah, so and, good. And that I think that's what Doctor Bibza was talking about. I think that's what Jordan Peterson's talking yeah. about. I think Francis Schaeffer talks about that. It's it's we are. The source of evil is within our own heart. The question is not how does God let Hitler come to power. The question is why hasn't God let you come to power? <laughs> you know, yeah, you're dude. you're nefarious. Yeah, and and so theologians talk about this uh, as is common grace, right? That's that's an aspect of common grace that God is restraining the evil, and it goes along nicely with the the doctrine of total depravity that everyone's every part of every person is infected by sin. But everyone's not a serial killer, and a big part of that is because God is is restraining evil in the world. And if He were to let go of that, then we like to quote uh, a famous thinker: we'd all be slashing each other in the streets. <laughs> uh, do you want to give some context to that? Yeah, that's my brother Joel uh, <laughs> talking about what he would do. Wait, no, no, no. What he no, wants no. to do? No, if, no, no. Uh, as soon, <laughs> no. Look, if you're gonna tell the story, tell it right. I remember telling Elisa, this is years ago, I said, you know, thank God that there are laws. We were talking about common grace yeah, and how God restrains evil in the world. It's a conversation very similar to this. Elisa and I are always having conversations like that. She's quite the thinker, I might say. Hmm. Um, but uh, one of the things that I said was, I go, man, thank God that there are these good laws on the books, like murder is against the law. You know, if, if murder was not against the law, we'd all be out in the streets slashing each other. And I'm thinking like that's an obvious proposition. Like that, of course that that's what would happen. Yeah. And I, you know, I kind of move on. I look back over and she's looking at me like, I'm like what? She's like, that's what you'd be doing <laughs> if murder was against the law. You'd just be out slashing everybody. In the tr- <laughs> and I'm like, 
I'm like, oh, no. I never thought of it that way. Like, pretty, that's pretty not, brave. that's kind of a normal thing I thought, but no, yeah. it's not. Yeah. Um, so, so that's very Petersonian. Uh, I think that was, that was good of you to notice that. And I, I think he probably does get that from Sojanitsyn from, um, who else? Uh, Nietzsche and, and some of these guys, right? Like he, it's funny. Cause he, he talks about the Bible story. a lot, but he's, he's, he's not, he's not getting it from the Bible. I mean, he, he quotes, um, he talks about Cain and Abel and he loves that story. And he, he talks about that at length, but he, his view of sin is kind of weird. And we'll, we can, we can get into that as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's within all of us. And, and he, I think he talked about this in the last rule as well. It's, it's not um, the question of people doing drugs like cocaine is, is not the, the question. Why, uh, why, why, do, why does anyone do drugs? Right. It's not that. It's why doesn't everyone do drugs at every moment all the time? And so the same thing, why, why is there evil in the world? And what, what Peterson is, is getting at is why isn't there more evil? Why isn't right. there just unrestrained? Mm -hmm. Why is there any good yeah. in the world? Yeah. And, and just, just to clarify, because I have some people who watch this, who watch content that I put out there just to find me saying something wrong. Uh, I was not saying that I would love to go out and kill people in the streets. What I was, <laughs> what I was saying <laughs> is that there are enough people who given enough anger given enough inciting incidents would do exactly that if there were no uh restraining societal binds bounds yeah yeah and and it's not just the laws either it's it's well we it's written on our hearts right yeah and then it's also inculcated by our parents it's also inculcated by our uh families our uh, more generally by society by church and so if you didn't have those other restraints going on on the in the human level right different yeah. spheres of sovereignty influencing you and it was just you and no rules then yeah dude who knows what it'd be insane right. right so i'm curious to know you folks who are watching this live go this is one of the beautiful benefits of watching live drop a comment below we get comments we can read them and we'll respond to them in real time as long as they're clean all right every now and then somebody tries to drop one that tries to get me to read something inappropriate <laughs> in another language um but we, we see through that. So don't do that. And, you know, Park, by the time we get to the end of this episode, I want to talk about what I see as a fatal flaw in Peterson's solution to the problem of evil. Yeah. Um, but first, you know, he starts out with these examples, just like, you know, my example of everybody slashing each other in the streets. Right. That's that's kind of humorous. But it, in in reality, in the real world, there are there are actual um, examples in the real world of people who take up that ethos and mm -hmm. they say, well, look, look at what uh, he cites. Oh, uh, one of the members of the Columbine duo. Yeah. And Perk, were you alive when that happened? I'm not sure if I was alive or not. I remember. I think you were. I remember. You were young. Hearing. Uh, I remember hearing about it, but I remember watching videos at like uh, Super Bowl stuff. Right? Do you remember like Super Bowl halftime shows? There would be like evangelism outreaches. Do you remember that? Our church. Dude, I don't video? think we're talking about the same thing. And there was like a Columbine video. Oh, really? We'd watch. Yeah. You mean we would go to church outreach we Super Bowl to, parties? Yeah. And, and I think a... at the halftime, so the halftime show, they would show like a an uh, an outreach video. Oh, I right. I think it was about like co Columbine. I think they okay. played that several yeah. years ago. So you were you were around because I remember I think I was in high school. You were probably in third grade or something like that. But but maybe maybe like a little too young to fully know what's going on. But I mean the those guys who shot up that school in Columbine, which was the first major high profile school shooting like that that I can recall, or even mass shooting. Mm -hmm. I mean these guys were deeply cynical. They were motivated by a kind of deep dark satanic level of of evil that is almost difficult to comprehend except except here's the thing okay so when you open up you open up the, the chapter and you read on page 148 hmm. now this is this is part of the manifesto of one of these school shooters he says if you recall your history the nazis came up with a quote final solution end quote to the jewish problem kill them all well in case you haven't figured it out I say, quote, kill mankind, all caps, end quote. No one should survive. Yeah. Now, dude, this, this, these, that's such a deep level of nihilistic 
evil. It's it is it's difficult to wrap your head around that kind of darkness un, until you sort of wind it back into some of its less extreme forms. Yeah. Okay, wind it back and and think about some of the messaging that's out there. Haven't you ever heard someone say something like this? Mankind is a virus in the world. Mankind is a blight upon nature. Have yeah, you heard, I heard that from from Mr. Smith in The Matrix. That? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Disease. That's, yeah. that's exactly. But, but also, also, um, and actually, Peterson brings this to light. The uh, a lot of like neo environmentalists, right? Where it's like you know we are the problem, we're the sickness, and and it came out a little bit during COVID, right? Like the uh, nature is healing kind of stuff, and and a lot of that is really actually commendable. And you're like, wow, dude, we need to actually clean up if at just a couple of weeks and nature comes back. Like, yeah, we're doing something wrong. But then other people are like, oh, good. You know, hope it takes us all. It's like, ooh, that, yep. that is against being itself, right? Like right, right. Kind of jacked up. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a very anti-Christian view. And it, you even see this in, in the, um, the first in, in uh, Infinity War. Not the sequel, but in Infinity War, not Endgame. But when Thanos is saying the world, the universe is overpopulated, people can't yeah. thrive. Um the, in, in other words, if you want to make the world a better place, kill half of its right. beings. Yeah. Well, it, what, dude, again, I, we are both too young for this, but I think in the 70s or maybe the 60s, they were talking about overpopulation and food shortage and how we're going to have to have limitations on on the number of babies born. Do you, do you remember hearing anything about that? Wait, wait, say it again. I'm sorry. I was reading the comments. Uh, someone, okay, if you're commenting, we will address that because I'm loving these comments that are coming in. Can you repeat what you just said? I, I think I caught it, but... Uh, I, I think it was in the 70s or the 60s, maybe earlier, but they were having debates on population size and how Earth is not going to be able to sustain this number of people, the the, the rate at which we're growing. And yeah, that's. Do you, do you remember hearing about that? Oh yeah, dude. And that's been that's been an ongoing discussion for at least a hundred years. Thomas yeah. Malthus. Yeah. Was have you heard of Thomas Malthus? He was, uh, just vaguely. Uh, okay. Um, he was, I don't know when he was, 1840s. I don't know. Someone can correct me on that. Maybe I, I might be way off on that. But he was the one who basically said, eventually the world will run out of resources. And uh, and and here's the thing though, too. With that whole worldview, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of jingoistic uh, racial superiority stuff that comes in. It's always, it's always those unwashed people who live on the other continent yeah. that needs to, you know, they're having too many kids yeah. and, and unlike us, uh, you know, pure, uh, right. Westerners or, or, you know, Europeans, it's very, very, there's this racist ideology that comes along with it. Totally. So now th th here's the crazy thing. Now our society has largely rejected that kind of racism. I'm not going to say we've rejected all racism, mm -hmm. but we've kept a lot of that, um, anti-human sentiment. Yeah. And we've just now expanded it out to everybody. Can, like now everyone is the problem. It's very much like what this guy from Columbine yeah. was saying. It's yeah. not just kill one ethnicity. It's kill them all. Yeah. There's the, a, a difference I've, I've found between that is, uh, between Columbine, just, just anti-human in general mm -hmm. and some of the neo-environmentalism is there's very little that I can agree with, with the Columbine guy, right? It's like, right. no, dude, that that's satanic. That's, self-referential you pure evil on you know like an ingrown hair you just turned in on yourself yeah and you're just putrefying with the with some of the other anti-human uh perspectives out there it's like dude your conclusions are are reprehensible i can see why you got there right so with yeah. with animals and you see uh you watch a documentary about chickens beaks being burned off so they can be crammed and stuff and it's like that hits the the imago day in us that's called to care for nature, right. and we see that we go, no, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. No, that we should not be doing that to animals and just thinking of someone stuffing their face with fried chicken, and you're like, dude, no, that's not right. And you can say, that's right. I can affirm that in you, but the answer is not to destroy all humans after that, right? Because then you're you're messing up the order of being right. that humans are up here, animals are down here. That means we should be caring for them. Mm -hmm. So. That that's just a, a little difference between well, I guess a huge difference between that and the Columbine. I'm going to kill everyone. Satanic idea. Yeah. Also, uh, later he, he he continues to quote from them, or maybe it's the same guy's manifesto, but he talks about uh, just this no ability for grace, no ability for forgiveness. 
he says, you know, if you've wronged me or pissed me off or whatever in the past and I see you, mm-hmm. you're you're not going to live any longer. And it's like this, I've been wronged and so I'm going to wrong others. Yes. Now, get, let's go back to the common grace thing here because on page uh, 149, he makes, no, no, no. Let's see. 153, he makes this really profound point. As a psychologist, I think it carries a lot of weight. Jordan Hmm. Peterson, of course, being a clinical psychologist. He says, many, perhaps even most of the adults who abuse children were abused themselves as children. However, the majority of people who were abused as children do not abuse their own children. This is a well-established fact which can be demonstrated simply arithmetically in this way. And then what he goes on to say is this. He says, if one parent abused three kids and then those parents abuse their kids, then uh, eventually there will be more abusers in the world than there are people. Just arithmetically, it doesn't make sense. So what that entails then is that most people who are abused don't abuse, although most abusers were abused. So, you know, we've got to keep our category straight here, but, but again, that's, that's common grace. And that's not, by the way, that's not the same thing as, as uh, morality or as a cleanness of heart, because um, as, as Christians, and we do need to get to this, but as Christians, you know, we look at uh, righting wrongs, not only as stopping sinning, like, okay, I'm no longer sinning in that particular way anymore. Okay. Right. Right. But, but it's a full cleansing of the whole person. We're actually new creations. Yeah. Um, well, and that's Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. And along with that, the, the history matters. And so it's not just, oh, well, that's in the past, right? Like I, I'm a different I did person that now. years ago. Time, right, right, time right. somehow no, you, absolves you, me of that. that has, yeah, there's no absolution without, without all sorts of stuff, without justice, without, you know, uh, forgiveness. There's, it's not just, oh, it's yesterday. Well, there has to, there has to be recompense, doesn't right. there? The wages of sin yeah. is death. Yeah, and and different sins require. So between God and man, you need forgiveness from God. Between man and man, there's all sorts of different things. You know, maybe maybe it is making up by turning yourself in for for a crime you did, or returning something you stole, or you know what I mean. All sorts of saying, apologizing, right? Yeah, yeah. So he talks about he does talk about Cain and Abel um, on page one fifty two. He he talks about how Cain's jealousy of Abel, who Abel was really Cain's ideal. You know, Abel brought the sacrifice to God and God accepted it. Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. Which, by the way, quick yeah, uh, quick recommendation. There's this band called Flatfoot Fifty Six. Someone someone referenced it on Facebook a while back to me, and I've been listening to. They've they've got this song called Cain. It's really a good song. Flatfoot Fifty Six is like this. It's like this Irish. I think it's a Chicago based Irish punk band. So kind of like a Dropkick Murphys kind of thing. If you yeah, remember yeah. those guys. Yeah. They're, but they're but they're Christians. So they've got this really raucous version of uh, Amazing Grace with bagpipes and stuff. Yeah. But um, but their song Cain is really, really good. It's like this really visceral, like, why'd you do it, Cain? Mm. But but um Jordan Peterson really um, you know, he talks about how Cain's revenge was based on jealousy of his successful brother, but he destroys Abel primarily to spite God. Now, here's here's the thing, dude. This is this is where I look at some of these really dark stories. Now, there's the extreme ones where it's like, oh, that's I can't even I don't even want to think about the fact that that exists, right? Yeah. But the, but isn't there a way in even in our popular entertainment where the darkness is mixed in with just enough justification, enough sense of like like we've got this sense of justice, right? But we've also we do have this fallen sense of wanting revenge. Yeah. And it's like you can mix those two together enough to create a TV show that's very compelling. And one of the examples for that for me was the show The Man in the High Castle. Oh yeah, okay. You ever see it? I'm so glad you brought that up because I want to talk about Philip K Dick. Uh I I watched I actually thought it was kind of boring. Um oh. I'll have to I'll have to do it again. I think I, I, I stopped watching after like season 2 or 3, but Yeah. I, I actually started reading the book last night. That's so funny that I, I I thought the book the book was a little bit boring too, so I put that down. But I'm I started it back yeah. up last night. Um, 
but go ahead yeah because I, I got some philip k dick that i wanted to talk about as well well so so what you know in that in that i haven't read the book but in the t in the series the tv show the world that's created by the nazis and the and the imperialist japanese yeah is so incredibly dark it is so incredibly twisted that the the people who are um the people who are rebelling against them are are entering entering into the darkness but they themselves are 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 it's hard to see how they themselves are not being consumed by the darkness yeah you know what i'm saying yeah totally uh, and 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 here's the thing the world outside park is dark enough right now in in that show you you hope and i haven't gotten to the end of it but it's like you hope that the machinations of the good guys even as they sort of delve into the darkness themselves you hope that there, there's going to be a redemption at the end that the the evil nazis the evil japanese uh yeah. imperialists are going to be destroyed but but the the problem is along the way you yourself are entering into this dark world you're entering into this story and and your heroes are being corrupted as well as your, your heroes are being corrupted and and it's like the sense that i got and one of the reasons i ultimately stopped watching it was this is i found myself being entertained not approving of but but sort of passively taking in all of it all yeah. of it like like i was finding myself it was it was as if a show like that or a book like that if done rightly can can do a good job of metaphorically presenting the dark world kind of like this is like what narnia does where it's it's always winter but it's never christmas that's such a great metaphor oh, for life so without god yeah. you know what i mean but yeah. it, but but in that story aslan comes and there's a thaw yeah. and there's redemption and there's goodness and there are some heroes who are not tainted by the darkness mm -hmm. but in this man in the high castle story there just there was no thaw yeah. it was like we've got to become just as icy yeah as the queen well, and i i didn't like that i felt like i was adding more darkness to my wow. already dark environment i think i think a really interesting thing about stories is you have so what peterson talks about uh, uh often he says he took this time to reflect on himself and and see that he could have been a nazi himself not because he he hates jews or anything like that but just saying if i were in that situation if i were raised in that way yeah it, it might have been me too and if you can't say that about yourself, you don't really understand the human condition. You don't understand the depth of your own and, depravity. And that's what a good show will do to not not to say, um, hey, let's let's invite you into enjoying the bad guy and rooting yeah. for the bad guy, but saying yeah. the bad guy could be you as well. Right. So it's not giving him license. So you go, oh, you know, I could do that too. You know, he's a but being like, oh crap, that could be me too. Yeah. Right. So it's not it's not any kind of license, but showing yeah. that 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 line does run right through the human heart, through yeah. your heart. That's what a good show does. And I think maybe maybe Breaking Bad does that a little bit better. Where you're heard you're, not, where you're not really rooting for Walter White. Some people do, and it's like, dude, you're not getting the show, you know. <laughs> right. But it's like, oh man, I see how he's breaking bad, how he's mm. the circumstances, and each one of his responses to different circumstances, he he made the wrong response. He kept on making the wrong response. And at the end, he's this hardened, completely different person. Yeah. And taking it back to uh, the Avengers: um, Infinity War, how many people, when they, when they heard Thanos' justification for killing half the population, how many people yeah, dude, seriously said, yeah. "You know what? Thanos kind of has a point. Yeah. Why yeah. do I find myself agreeing with Thanos?" Yeah. Well, it's like, you know what? I'll tell you why. Because your heart is depraved, and yeah. it's taking a Marvel movie to draw that out. Yeah. If you if you think that Thanos has a good point, then then congratulations, you're one step closer to realizing your the depth of your own sinful heart and yeah. your need for a savior. And then so, you could be Thanos, dude. That's right. the best. If you had that kind of power, you would right. be just the same. Right. So um, I just got done reading. I've been on a huge folky dick kick this summer. And I uh, just started, I just got done reading Ubik. Have you heard of Ubik? No. Uh, it's short for ubiquitous. And it's kind of like, it's really, it's it's creepy and weird. And it's it's like uh, it's like The Matrix a little bit, but it's written in the 70s. By the way, everyone watching, we're going to answer your questions right after this. So um, 
he talks about this these these two forces basically it's you ubik is like the good positive force and he's got this really blasphemous line at the end where he he quotes uh basically quotes john one uh and, and but but puts ubik in the, in the place of jesus but it, what he's showing is like there's this universal good and there's this universal corrupting nature and he, uh, peterson talks about this when he's quoting uh faust or mephistopheles from from stuff uh from from faust. Faust. yeah and uh well, let me read the, the quote from Faust. Mephistopheles says, I am the spirit who negates, and rightly so, for all that comes to be deserves to perish wretchedly. And that's that's what this this Jory character in Ubik, he's he's sucking the life out of things. And Ubik is coming along to fight Jory. And there's this eternal battle, and it takes place in these guys are in cold pack. They're in um they're like half dead. And they're, they're frozen, so they're in like dream states. But you can come talk to them. You go down to the mortuarium and you can talk to them, and it's it's, it's really crazy. Mm. But in there, this thirteen-year-old kid is like sucking power from all the people in Half Life, and it's he's his name is Jory, but he represents this universal principle. So the evil the evil villain is a thirteen-year-old kid. Yeah, and he negates that he corrupts, and it's this universal mm. corrupting matter, and and. Uh, it, it's all throughout all of Philip K. Dick's books. Actually, the reason that you're not finding heroes in that story is because they're probably being true to Philip K. Dick. He he doesn't write heroes. Mm. He never none of his stories has heroes in it. Um, That's so sad. It's, it's just a dystopian. All of them are dystopian, and and they're they're crazy. But um, so this this universal principle fighting, and and Peterson talks about that really well, kind of because he's like this metaphysical dualist, right? We talked yeah. about the yin and the yang. Mm -hmm. Um, so we don't believe that, but we we're downstream. We don't believe that good and evil are two equal Eternal and opposite forces. No, no, of course, right, because we believe good is is God's nature, yeah, and evil is an aberration from that. But evil yeah, will ultimately lose, good, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and so that the corruption, I love that. I love that idea because I think that's what happens. You know, we're we're totally totally depraved. We are corrupted yeah. in all of our being, mm -hmm. and. When you act on that corruption, you further corrupt yourself. When you continue to lie, it becomes easier and easier to lie because you get this scar tissue on your soul, on your on your uh, conscience. You know, that's why God told Cain, uh, "Sin yeah. is crouching at your door. It wants to master oh, you, man. but you must master it. Yeah. It wants to master you. Yeah, that's what sin does. It's so good. I want to read that. He, because Cain's getting angry." So in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought. Of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat proteins and some people i think like sunday school lessons when i was growing up it, they were saying it was because uh cain brought fruit have you heard that that's why he he should have traded his fruit with abel and then killed a, a sure. ram or something right yeah. and it's like the, the system wasn't there yet right about you know slaughtering it's more cain. about it's more about which one was more valued yeah well i don't know if that's the case either you know cain is a gardener He's bringing his no, but I'm saying food. I'm I'm saying. Oh, okay, okay. Abel brought his choice meats. Yeah. Um, Cain brought some. Cain yeah. brought sort of just you know the leftovers. And it, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really say. I don't think. I think it's implied. What, what was wrong with Cain's whatever it was? There was something wrong with it. He didn't do it in a noble yeah. way. Right. And and, and he God knew expected. It. Yeah, God expected him. It wasn't like an accident. Right. He knew what he was doing. He was holding back from God or something like that. And then. Um, the the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And uh, I, I I learned this in Hebrew, but I totally forgot. Like there, there's there's some really cool meaning there. Um, but he was he was feeling down, I guess, and and angry. The Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well," Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And then he doesn't rule over it. He lets sin control him. He he continues to act in the wrong manner, and his evil, sinful nature is continually solidified. And then it it, it births an action of murder, the first murder ever. Sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Mm -hmm. When it has conceived, gives birth to death. We see that. We see that all throughout Scripture. So, uh, look, if we can bring it back to Peterson now. Yeah. Then we got to take these questions. Let's let's talk about Peterson's solution. That's yes. Okay. Good. It, so it goes right. It goes right into it. And it's right in the title of the chapter. 
set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Mm-hmm. Um, this now it's it's funny timing because like okay to summarize what Peterson is saying is it's he's not saying anything. The stuff that he says right is not anything different than what Christ Jesus himself says when he says, "You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, yeah. then take the, then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye." Yeah. Or elsewhere, when Jesus says, "No doubt you will quote the proverb to me, physician, heal thyself." Mm-hmm. The idea is, deal with yourself first before you go on a campaign to fix what's wrong with everybody else. Yeah. And, and dude, that, don't, and don't that, we yeah, see that? That everywhere. doesn't, that doesn't mean you don't want to go and fix stuff and you don't thank want, you. Right. Exactly. Correct. Of course. But, Correct. but if you have this giant plank in your eye, you can't see a speck out of someone else's <laughs> eye. So, but if you do take the plank out of your own eye, a giant plank, mm-hmm. if you're able to do that, then of course you can take a speck out of some, you, you're, you're right. an expert in that. I took right. a plank out of my eye, dude. Right. I can help you with your speck. All right. So look, so, now this is this is very coincidental. So John Eaton says this. He says, related to the idea of putting your house in order, have either of you read The Household and the War for the Cosmos by C.R. Wiley? Highly recommend it. Have you read that book? I haven't. Haven't Do heard you, of it. You know what's so funny? Okay, check this out. I got it right here. Nice. The household. I, I read it a while ago. I actually drove up to um uh to Northwestern and I went into their beautiful old library their gothic their Mm neo-gothic library and i read it there all in one sitting for the most part and the reason i say this is so coincidental and i appreciate the question is just last night with my hammer and anvil society guys i was hammer and anvil society is a discipleship cohort um leadership training that we're doing through the think institute if you want to know more about it email me at thethink.institute at gmail.com uh starting up again in january but I was just talking with those guys about how how there are three spheres, there are three spheres of government in every society, the state, the church, and the household. And if you want to impact, you want to have a broader, uh, a deep impact for the gospel in society, that has to begin with the household. And yeah. so I actually referenced a lot of uh, C.R. Wiley, Chris, Chris Wiley's ideas in my training uh, to my guys last night. Nice. And um, it was just, it was really, really cool. So, so yes, John Eaton, I have read that book. And I also would agree with this quote, Park, let me see what you think about this. Here's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, John Eaton is sharing, quote, the life of the state rests and must ever rest upon the life of the family and the neighborhood. Teddy Roosevelt, April 10th, 1909. He says it's tangentially related, quote from Teddy Roosevelt, very insightful for many of our current social issues. In other words, you want to fix what's wrong with society? Clean your room. <laughs> fix yeah. your household. Well, dude, it's that's so good. And I think Peterson agrees with that. Um, Peterson's starting with the individual first, right? Mm-hmm. With, with yourself. But he also talks about how that's going to help your family. And that's going to help your relations at home. You're, you start cleaning your room. You start You start avoiding what you know to be intentionally wrong. And then that has this ripple effect. And so, yeah, you can you can go out and Peterson actually has in mind, I think here, the, the 2016 uh, protests, right? And, and that's when Antifa started up and and he would always speak against the, you know, cultural Marxists and then the um, postmodern neo-Marxists and stuff in like that. In my head, there's a bell going off every time you say something triggering. Ding, neo-Marxist, ding, Antifa, ding. By the way, I know... Never mind. We'll talk. We'll talk okay. offline. All right. We'll talk offline. So, so that's what Peterson has in mind with this whole this whole rule, because a lot of these people were going out and they're saying, "Hey, I want to end capitalism. I want to. I want to re occupy Wall Street. I want to go at the foundations of of this society." And Peterson's like, "You can't even make your bed in the morning. But what gives you any kind of insight into how society works? First, start by creating some order of your own chaos." And then you can be a little bit more equipped to do that. To quote Mark Driscoll, who the H do you think you are? <laughs> yeah. Had to censor myself while quoting that pastor. Yeah. Um, that kills okay. it. But so, so look, go so, ahead. Yeah. Starting with yourself. I think dude, for us, obviously that, that applies to the 
it immediately applies to the family and and all sorts of proverbs are going off in my head about you know children are your arrows and you're releasing them out into the world yeah right and and, and how you see governments when they become ty tyrannical come for your kids right they want to re-educate your children they want to be put all your kids father in right schools yeah and so if you give your child to caesar to raise him a then child I of caesar shall you have right. <laughs> something like that yeah but so set your house in perfect order people have criticized peterson for this because it's like well that, that seems unattainable and aren't you just really telling people not to be socially active because there's always something else that you can do in your own life right john eaton has a I'm putting it up on the screen. It's blocking us right now. Maybe I can fix this here. Nope, that's worse. Mm. Um, but so he's got this, this I think question ties into what you're just saying. Yeah. In light of the above quote and in line with the thesis of the book I referenced, yes, the C.R. Wiley book, what do you think of the idea that ordering your household is not only a prerequisite to changing the world, ordering your household is the very means by which positive change is possible in the world? Do you think that I ties th in with what you're saying or not? I do. I think that's too strong. I think that I um, uh, you can certainly impact the world without having your own life in order. But and and it, dude, if, if the only way to change the world was to have a bunch of kids and then send those kids out, it would take a, a really long time. And and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's more organic, right? Okay, but that shouldn't be the only thing. Yes, yeah, send out a bunch of kids. You're muted. Send out a bunch of kids for sure. But then also, you know, be politically engaged and disciple young men. If you're a man and, and you're not discipling someone, you're a Christian, you're not discipling someone, you are messing up. Like, go out and make disciples. Make Who's disciples your children. You are? Yeah. To, you know, uh, encourage and, and shepherd your wife and help her look like a well-watered vine, for sure. But also vote, right? And, and some of you men, Christian men, are called to public office. And I hope it's not me because that sounds like a terrible life. No, but you're you're discipling you're discipling the future statesman. Can you go imagine, going, yeah. bro? You're wrestlers. Dude, can you imagine them going into public office? That'd be so great. They'd be so great. Yeah, so man, great. Those guys are beasts. Well, um, and this is one of the things that I'm trying to do with the Hammer and Anvil Society. Is there's guys? It's like yes, we're united around this common cause of of um, sort of uh, we're, we're 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 building the Think Institute on the one hand, but that's not. The main thrust the main thrust is these guys are getting trained and equipped to go back out to their places of business yeah. and commerce and the idea is you change society from from within and i i agree with you i, I think it's too simplistic to say just have kids and right. train them um did you see the kevin d young article that just came out no kevin d young just came out with this article it was posted on gospel coalition and it's the it's Sorry to say, but it's the first time I've been able to retweet something from the Gospel Coalition uh, in a while. But Kevin it was Young's pretty solid, right? Very solid. I really like him. I haven't heard, I haven't listened to him or followed him a couple of years, but yeah, I've always liked what I heard from him. Same here. And what he, but basically, he makes this argument. He says, if you want to change the world, have a lot of kids, have yeah. more kids than you think you can handle, and yeah. catechize them all. And yeah. it's it's like, see, I agree with that. I think that's good. But here's the thing, that I agree with you. That's not the only thing to do because as new covenant christians not all of us are called to have large families no. because the great commission is not merely be fruitful and multiply right it's disciple the nations and and oh man paul brings that back in colossians he talks about so in, in genesis 1 bear fruit and multiply you know that's like uh depending on what denomination you're in that that's a creation mandate or that's just a man's original call or, or whatever it is but we're called to Adam and Eve were called to uh, multiply and grow and bear fruit. In Colossians, Paul describes the gospel as bearing fruit and multiplying. And the new creation, right? He uses yeah. creation language twice in, in chapter one. Yeah. Bearing fruit and multiplying around the world. Yeah. And doesn't he say in every nation? Yeah. And then he says in you, in the Colossians as well, it's bearing fruit and multiplying in you. And so the the Christian response is not just outbreed them, right? But it, it's it's... Uh, it spread this idea. We we're a people of ideas. We're the people of you know the the word of the book of the gospel, and so that bears fruit and multiplies. And one way to do that is to have kids and catechize them and and teach them and make them disciplers, right? You you have four little disciplers, Lord willing, that are going to go and and exponentially share the gospel. But then also when you're doing it yourself, dude, let's go. Let's make a bunch right. of let's get 
you know. Well, well, think about it. So, mom and dad had four kids. Okay, mm-hmm. mom and dad are still out there making disciples. Right. Right. Now you've got our generation out there making disciples, and then the next generation after us is making disciples. Yeah. Bro, think about that. You've got two people, sort of the matriarch, patriarch. Then you've got the the next generation. Okay, there's four of us. We're all doing it. But now you've got you know in this next generation, you've got our four. You've got uh, Gabe's one. You've got Og and Phil's one. You've got however you're probably going to have sixteen. Right. You know, just because you try to always outdo me. But okay. it's like you know every layer that you go that uh, you 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 trace that out in in over a hundred years, five hundred years. That's you build a civilization yeah. with that. But the, um, and a problem with it is that people are still sinful, and a lot of ah, a lot of our our, our offspring, yes. you know, looking down the line, they're going to fall away. Maybe no. you start a cult, right? No. Like, not dude, a, we got cults in our lineage, man. No, listen, we've got one guy Rigdon, not the good Rigdon. There was this was the bad Rigdon. We've got a good Rigdon who signed the the uh, something the Bush River Declaration, which is a precursor to the Declaration of Independence. Our yeah. ancestor, bro. Love inspired it. the Declaration of Independence. Love Didn't that. that just make you want to just yeah. when in the course of human just events it becomes necessary and, oh, to dissolve about. the bonds? What? Um, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you were going the slashing route. I thought that's where we were going. No, you always want to go the slashing route. Um, no, but we yeah we have one but, cultist. So that's why we're we're people of idea, man. It's it's not just right. Uh, uh, it's uh, not a it's not a genetic thing. No, 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 no. no, no. Far it's from not. it. Yeah. Far from it. And we're trying to smash that ideology. Right. It says it's all about genetics and all that. Right. Okay. So, so, okay. So Peterson's solution though, Peterson's solution Peterson. is, is going back to the self and it's set your own house in perfect order. He doesn't, he said this in interviews that it's not, I don't know why he said perfect. Uh, maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was a slip. Um, maybe he's, he's talked about that more and I haven't seen it, but wow. setting yourself, yeah, clean up your room. That's why he got famous. Clean Dude, up your room. It, which flies in the face of what he said earlier in the book about maintaining the balance between chaos and order. Now he's literally saying, put your house in perfect order. He's not saying walk the line between order and chaos. Uh, I, that's, that's a good point. That's actually a good point. He said, so I, th- so I think Peterson gives away more here than I think you maybe intended to, but he wants to present this dualistic universe yeah. order and chaos as two equal and opposite forces, but he, he betrays his true loyalties here or his true understanding because he understands normative, sorry, order is normative. Good yeah. is normative. And that is a very Christian concept. Good is normative. Yeah. In fact, evil only has any meaning because it negates good. Yeah. So, okay, dude, there's well, one his, thing. His solution Summed up. thing I, we got to talk about here. 157, he says, start to stop. This is kind of awkward. Start to stop doing what you know to be wrong. Right. Start to stop doing what you know to be wrong. And he, and from there, he kind of builds, he, he builds a, a utopian principle. You know, if, if everyone stopped doing what they knew, what, if everyone started doing, if everyone started stopping what they knew to be wrong, what would the world look like? You know, what, maybe it would be this perfect world. And well, I, I guess if you do follow that through, I mean, you, no. you, still, have to deal with, you still have to deal with sin, right? But Peterson if, is an anti-utopianist. And yet here he is saying, here's how we yeah. create a utopia. Yeah. Do you see? So as, as brilliant as he is, he's taken Christ and the true biblical worldview out, the, the, the heart of the biblical worldview. And, and what he's doing, and as a result, he's, he's actually trapping himself in a contradiction. Yeah. And well, well and because he's got so much good stuff to say, let me, let me, this is a good quote too. So 158, he says, if you cannot bring peace to your household, how dare you try to rule a city? And that is a biblical principle. Um, looking at elders, if you, if an elder can't rule his own household, well, right. then why would he, why would he rule the church? And that's, that's again, going back Timothy to three, the requirements for elders. Yeah. And, and ruling yourself first, Paul says, I beat myself and, and make my body. Yeah. 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 And he's like, I'm, I'm going at this war. I'm putting on armor of God. I'm putting to death my own body. And then with, he he says for elders, they have to rule their household well, Mm -hmm. and then they're able to rule the church. Right. And, and it spreads out in the, in the spheres of sovereignty. But the next line Peterson says is let your own soul guide you. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, yep. Yep. Come on, dude. Like (laughs) that's, that's, 
trash. There's a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it leads to death. Yes. Your own soul is the problem. Okay. This is the fatal flaw. This is the fatal flaw in, in, in this chapter. Tell me if you agree with this. Okay. Wait a second. Wait a second. Let's take a few comments here because this, I'm going to, this, I think this needs to be the, the coup de gras at the end of the, yeah. the episode. So, okay. Look at this. First of all, first of all, Jessica Dermody, this is an older comment. She says, not a coincidence, not a coincidence that, you know, uh, that I happen to have this book. Somebody yeah. recommended it. Right. Or maybe she's talking about, there was, a, there was another coincidence earlier. I forget what it was. Um, but no, you're right, Jessica. We, we affirm God is sovereignly in control here. Um, Donna Flanke says, the only reason we have any good in us is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the only thing that can combat the flesh. Okay, amen to that. Let me, dude, here's the fatal flaw. And I think this ties in well with what Donna, Donna is saying. This whole idea of cleaning up your room, pursuing order, is is about well uh, uh, establishing order in a chaotic world. He says on page one fifty seven, a hurricane is an act of God, but yeah. failure to prepare when the necessity for pre pre for preparation is well known, that's sin. Mm -hmm. That's failure to hit the mark, and the wages of sin is death. Yeah. Romans six twenty three, dude. Okay, now hear me on this. That's right before he goes into this this run where he's talking about um, uh, don't blame capitalism or the radical left or the iniquity of your enemies. Don't reorganize the state until you've ordered your own experience. In other words, get your own life together, bucko. But here's the problem. He's, he talks about this sort of utopian climb that yeah. society might experience if we all clean up our rooms. But here's, here's what he doesn't see. All this talk about heaven on earth is completely undercut by this fact. Everyone still dies. He has just said the wages of sin is death. The very fact that all we can do is establish order in this life until we die, which death is the inevitable consequence of all mankind. What that goes to show you, Park, is that the fundamental heart of what's wrong with us, the sin in our hearts, isn't eradicated by self-improvement that only aims at sort of a, a terrestrial goal yeah. and a, a, what Ecclesiastes calls under the sun. Yeah. The, the problem is deeper than society. It goes down to the depth of our own hearts and the outcome of our own sin is death. And unless we have a, a true way of eradicating that sin, all we'll, able, all we'll be able to approximate is a, some sort of utopian society. But at the end of that, we all die anyway. Yeah. We need a solution that deals with our sin and that accomplishes immortality for us. Well, the, the, that the obtains problem, immortality for us. The problem that's that's Christ. That's the gospel. The problem with Peterson is that he's reinterpreted sin. He's reinterpreted sin not to be a moral evil here, even though he talks about different moral evils. Right. I mean, you just read the quote. He's. It's a failure to prepare when the necessity of preparation is well known. It's a. It's not preparing for the hurricane. It's not reinforcing the the flood walls before the hurricane comes right that's a sin and that obviously is a death. look at all the death that comes and so if we didn't do that then we'd be less death and it, his problem the reason he's not addressing the sin issue and the death issue and the morality issue is because he's reinterpreted sin along naturalistic lines yeah it's a sin it's a missing the mark and so i'm grabbing this verse and i'm isogeting it i'm taking it out of its context and i'm i'm infusing it with my own meaning Right, And that's not what sin is. And the problem that Peterson has, and, and this is why ultimately his, his treatment of the problem of evil is unsatisfying, is because his view of morality is unsatisfying. And um, I, I pulled this quote. So I wrote a paper last semester for religion in the modern world, and I read through Maps of Meaning, Jordan Peterson's uh, more technical book. And he talked about, um, so he's talking about morality. And I want to just read this quote. He's talking about what, what morality is. Peterson says, identification of what constitutes the basis for establishing the nature of morality or the comparative value of objects is no simple matter. In fact, such judgment compromises the constant central demand of adaptation. No fixed answer solution to this problem can be offered. This question, the nature of the highest ideal or the nature of the highest good, 
because the environment posing the query, so to speak, constantly shifts as time progresses. That shift constitutes, in fact, time's progression. So the, the problem is he sees morality as, a, as constantly interacting with our environment, which is constantly changing. So as humans evolve throughout time, the environment makes different demands on us. And therefore, our morality changes to match those new demands. He doesn't have an external perspective. He doesn't have a, a transcendent God that says, do this and don't do that. And so really, he can't make sense of, of moral evil, which we call sin. And so he's got to re, reinterpret sin to be not preparing for uh, disaster, right? Yeah. Making it this really pragmatic thing. And so from a Christian perspective, no, dude, we, we can't go along with that. We, right. we can see a lot of the practical applications of, and, and, and we can find uh, similar ideas in what we talked about for, uh, for elders, you know, qualification mm -hmm. for elders, practical application. We, well, Christ talked about the plank in your eye. Absolutely, we can affirm that. But Peterson can affirm that insofar as being inconsistent with his own worldview. Right. And and that's, I mean, if he were here, this is what I'd say. Like, look, the wages of sin is death. But, uh, and, and the, the line between good and evil really does run through the human heart. And it's because of that fact that we need a heart transplant, a spiritual, right. obviously not a literal one, a, a spiritual heart transplant. And that is not something we can give ourselves. Right. But thankfully, God in scripture says, he prophesies in the Old Testament, I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Whereas before we had the law written on stone tablets. Now the law is written in a living, breathing way, spiritual way upon our hearts. But that comes just like what Donna was saying earlier, that comes from the from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who transforms us from within the inside. You can draw then a, a line between a transformed heart straight out into a transformed household, straight out into a transformed church and out into a transformed world hmm. or society or state. Yeah. And um, so, so as always, lots of good stuff there to affirm and uh, lots of, uh, unfortunately, some inconsistencies. To yeah, address. some bones to spit. You know, what, what does it gain yeah. uh, a man if he sets his whole life in order but loses his very soul? Bro salad okay good um okay park how can people get in touch with you yeah um check me out at parkersetacase.com for a lot of my blog posts uh you can find that paper that i was talking about on my blog post it's called mapping peterson's meeting is that, meeting. Is that the, which one did you send to me you said read this and i haven't read it yet it wasn't that one that was about the golden triangle of freedom oh yeah 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 send that to me again would you yeah just keep sending it and sending it. This is good. This is like the end of uh, Paul's letters where he says, bring bring the books and a bunch, a bunch of random stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, my the coat. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Um, well, listen, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. If you haven't bought this book yet, 12 Rules for Life, if you have no idea what we're talking about and you're like, uh, hmm, this sounds fascinating. This sounds interesting. We're going through all 12 rules. Read a chapter, go back. You can rewatch these episodes. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to get a fully updated playlist on YouTube, which by the way, if you're watching on YouTube and you have not subscribed yet, my friend, Ethan Michael, my atheist friend, or he says he's an atheist. We know that there is no such thing as a true atheist, Ethan. Um, uh, he, he says, Joel, you're only four. Look at that profile picture, dude. Doesn't that just, that's <laughs> just great. It's friendly. Uh, very friendly. Joel, you're only 14 subs away from a custom channel URL. And then he says, now it's 13, just 13 people. So listen, if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to our channel. Why? Because all kinds of goodness and blessing will flow to us if you if you subscribe. No, we're trying to get the word out about this content. At the end of the day, we want to help equip Christians to explain, share, and defend the biblical worldview. We want to help them uh, arise from their primordial lobster state into a uh, an evolved state uh, where they have a... Uh, uh, they can clean up their rooms because uh, they have hands now. And... <laughs> their, both of their eye stalks are uh, functioning. <laughs> yeah functioning yeah. not being clipped off by their enemies um there's there's probably something coherent in there yeah all right 
Uh, Jessica Dermody does say that's what I was talking about. Okay, good. So, so uh, yes. So God does work in some incredible ways. John Eaton, thank you for watching. He says he appreciates the conversation, and um, and uh, he put in something about Jordan Peterson making a good point about introducing beauty. Man, there's a lot to cover here. Go back, read the book, and feel free to interact with Parker or me on social media. We're there. If you're listening later on on the podcast, which I have, I need to update, but if you're watching, give us an honest five-star rating and review. An honest one, because uh, tell the truth, or at least don't lie. We're going to get to that one pretty this soon. Is, That's- this is starting to sound like Ben Shapiro's uh, advertising. Are you going to start talking about Birch Gold Group soon? <laughs> yes. And uh, what's his VPN? Express VPN. I don't know. I don't. I try not to get that in my brain because that means they're being very successful at marketing. Oh, it's in there. It's yeah. in there. Um, the cash uh, app. All right. Stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all we have for you. Until Go next time. Room. Until Go next time. Hope. Out of your eye. Oh yeah. Until next time. Hope it. Uh, hope it. Orga- hope it ruled your city. Hope it. Yeah. Hope it hope gave it, you the. Hope it helped you take the lobster claw out of your own eye stock. So, so you could um so you could go and, and, and pinch uh the pinch. eye stock of of your neighbor <laughs> that's good all right man all right goodbye <laughs> you can pinch